0: Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And first of all, I want to thank everyone who offered to help during my recent computer crash and software problems. And offers came uh, everywhere from Romania to Australia and all points in between. You guys uh, made me feel so good about having so many friends all over the world that it gave me the boost that I needed to get up and going once again, and I sure won't forget you, all of you. So, uh, hey, thank you ever so much. Also, I would like to thank Michael O., who made a very nice donation to the salon, Uh, along with our fellow Saloners who purchased a copy of my Pay What You Can audiobook The Genesis Generation, because uh, your donations also go to support my work here in the Salon. You not only keep the bills paid around here, you also give me the encouragement to keep on keeping on. Now, the talk I'm going to play today may lack a bit in sound quality, although I've uh, done my best to clean it up. But the talk was recorded on an old cassette recorder under less than optimal conditions by my friend Matt Palomary i'm sure you remember from some of my ayahuasca podcasts uh, in particular numbers 80 and uh, 89 now uh, matt and i were together in palenque mexico when he recorded this talk and at the time none of us could afford the new and expensive digital recorders nonetheless i think this recording is significant in several ways To begin with, uh, that was the last year of the famous, and uh, I guess some would say infamous, and theobotany seminars that were held there for quite a number of years. There were two one-week sessions, and this talk was given by Sasha Shulgin uh, during the first week, and so it is the next-to-last talk that Sasha gave in that magical setting. And while parts of this talk will be of interest mainly to chemists, I think it's worth listening to if you uh, ever used one of the chemicals that Sasha formulated, if for no other reason than to hear how he first became interested in this field, as well as how complex the work was to develop these important medicines. After we hear what Sasha has to say, I'll be back and give you an update on his health situation these days, which is less than perfect, I'm sad to say. And also I'll explain my reasons for playing something from Sasha at a time when the whole world seems to be on fire. I think that the great work that Sasha has done can directly contribute to the long-term healing process that is going to take a generation or more for the brave people of Japan who are facing a test of courage that few nations will ever have to face. At least, let's hope so. So, without any further ado, here is the one and only Sasha Shulgin at the top of his form one lovely day at the top of the hill overlooking the Chan Ka Hotel in Palenque, Mexico. And I guess I should warn you that Sasha is a really fast talker, and his delivery was always very animated, particularly when he uh, started walking around and began drawing what he calls his dirty pictures on the whiteboard. And those dirty pictures, by the way, are uh, molecular structures of various and sundry chemicals. So don't feel badly if you can't catch everything he says. Uh, What I do hope you will bring out of this talk, however, is the sense of love and excitement that he has always brought to his work and to his lectures. Sadly, there won't be any new talks by this great chemist and dear friend to so many psychonauts around the world, but through you and the people you share these podcasts with, Sasha will never be forgotten. And by the way, the word is he is still able to visit his beloved laboratory every once in a while. Who knows what magical elixir may still be lurking on those dear old shelves in that rickety old shed that has served as his laboratory for so long. So now let's join the one and only Sasha Shogun just a moment or two after he began his talk.
1: In the last few decades, uh, an awful lot has happened. I took the, i worked in the lab, I've worked in the lab maybe Four six five six months ago, and I ran out of methylene chloride called dichloride, the trade chloride. The solvent was used, it was first introduced about 1955, 1960, when they discovered they could chlorinate natural gas to differentiate the solvent in the 40s, and we it for everything. And I was out of it, and we had a little chemical supply house over in the local town known as Coffee, and it's called Alpha Chemicals. And so I got on the phone call. I had met the people there before. They're moderately loose, <coughs> okay people. They provided uh, essential chemicals such as phosphorus and iodine and the things we use in the liquid. but also solvents and such that we use in normal laboratory. And I phoned them and I asked, we have me eaten cards And he said, uh, let me take a look, just hang on a minute. He came back in a minute on the phone and said, got about four gallons. He said, "Put it side, I'll be over here in three minutes. He said, i no. He right i got chairs up here if you want. Good. And I'll be over in a few minutes and pick it up. She said, fine. It was about one or two in the afternoon. And then it was about 2.30 or so, and she had four gall- gallons. And uh, I said, how much is that? And she said $120. However, she said, we have a little paperwork to do for the, for the, uh, the state. I said, Oh, fine. And so she got out a series of forms that had to be filled up. What is it you buy? Four gallons of methane alright. Uh, next line, what are you going to use it for? Research. Next line, uh, what is your full name? I wrote down my full name. Uh, next line, identification number from state issued identification. So I always, when anybody asks me for identification. identification, just out the passport. It's a dialogue, which I love getting into. A passport? Yes, you have a passport? Well, no, why not? And I get I get this thing going with the people who take weight, checking calendars, and gestures uh, here and there. And I love getting into that because I find a lot of people never heard of passports. And I say, you know, have you ever read The Last train in Berlin? No, no. And so I always keep this little harangue going about people getting passports. And, and so I pull out a passport. No, 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 she said, by law, it has to be state-issued identification. You have a driver's license. The only thing I, I have to see it is that the I brought it up, down with the number, a telephone number, a license plate number on the car I came with a payment be in this way, in this way but not that way. Anything bought in the state of California that has anything to do with chemicals or chemistry or laboratory things that goes over a hundred dollars of full paperwork has to be done. And uh so I I, I knew that this been developed in this way i following. I said, uh how how am I am I late enough to run into visitors as I leave? And she looked at her watch and said, I think you're about a half an hour too early. Anyone who comes and buys chemicals and, and is there at three thirty or later, the Concrete police are down the street and around the corner and stop the car. as it goes away and just just fine oh a weedy license plate or something. Uh where were you? I was down there uh, what we're doing at Bryan's and can reduce chemicals for. And this is routine in how In the and this case, in conflict. And I kind of hope I'd run into this, run into that and kind of need because I know in case you tell me what I had to do with it. This is proprietary information. If you're really interested, you might have to apply it. And I'm sure that one goes up to a certain point. I like being in the it. After that point, I just want to get out <coughs> and I just, I stopped doing it again. Huh. Not so, totally, and, uh, so I reminded an interesting thing as I was driving back home, four gallons, back forward in the back of the car, about 65 years earlier, this is my starting, this is the start of my talk, my starting chemistry is back when I was 8, 9, 10 years old, and I had uh, been given a Gilroy, Gilman, chemistry set. Gilbert. 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 That's Gilbert chemistry set, which had a nice series of about 12 little things logwood, I've never yet have found out what logwood is for, something like of soda, these aggressive chemicals Just be careful of, uh, salt, oxygen like this, in which add this to this and a bubble, you add this and it turns green or blue or something. And I had this in the basement, in the back of the house, uh, that door had five steps going towards the street and had about 15 steps going downward that went up four steps into the backyard. At the very bottom of the 15 steps the door going to the basement. That was my life. I was about eight years old, I was enamored with chemistry. I really loved it. You know, I did everything I could, Combine everything with everything, and got all the bubbles and colors I could possibly do. But I also had a bicycle. And down on the corner of Spruce and Rose and Berkeley, where I live, if you go down Rose Street, far enough across Chadwick, down across Grove, and down by uh, Rosa High School, or Junior High School, there's a street in McGee Street, and to the left on McGee Street, there's a place called University Apparatus Company. I love the place, because <laughs> Uh, they're going to provide all the chemicals in university. They were, in essence, the stockroom provider of chem- the chemicals for UC Berkeley up there. But also, they're very neat. And I go down there in my bicycle and I pull into the thing and go in and talk to them and say, you know, an eight-year-old kid coming in and say, you know, I, I'd like to get a, a can of ether and some, I'm out of sodium nitrite and I've got plenty of sulfur and carbon and things like that. But I would like to have some of this, some of that, and some of those. And do you have any of that? They say, sure, here's the ether, here's that. If you don't have any small bottles here, I'll give you a little bit out of the big bottle. Put a little bit in a small bottle for me. And bring off not even charge. <laughs> this, this was the rapport between the university and its supplier and people and the concept of individual exploration. And this was very deal. And I remember that was great. I knew 50 other people who who were involved in the same thing. Explore a thing. we explore little things. We'd this to this and put a match to it and we get a loud noise. Marvelous! <laughs> Alright? You add this and this to this and then add a little bit of sodium sulfide and you stink out the whole neighborhood. Marvelous! <laughs> and this is a great sport! And then blowing up things that you get a cut and they will get cured from the cut. And um, that, that's what high school. uh, remember in Kaiso, uh really, really explored. I love physics and chemistry. The physics was what is, what is uh, so washing soda and uh, and chemistry is, is how do you clean glassware. I mean, that was, that was a sophistication. But we got much further than that. We found they had a gas tank in the in the physics lab. And I found that it had some weather balloons back in the, in the other area. And we'd get together and fill one of these weather balloons with gas from the gas tank and tie a long string out with a little bit of kerosene on the string. I'd take it up in the, in the playground up behind the thing. Let us there. Our, our idea was to light the fuse and let this thing go. And what go up in the air with the fuse burning in the middle, up in the air? That was our green. And then it's the all been going, but it never occurred to me that gas was denser than air. And so this thing would go through the fuse and it sideways over against the fence. And then it went off. <laughs> you got to criticize. Your <laughs> this was the beginning, to me, the beginning of chemistry. The idea of mix things and see what comes out of uh, it. At that time, this was in the, in the 30s. At that time, the only psychedelics that were known at all uh, were mescaline uh, and the component, they didn't have the right structure, but yet to were on the right direction, of marijuana, THC and marijuana, and uh, before LSD, before Contribe, before Sinai, before DMT, all these. Um, that's pretty much it. I mean, it was a real, and I, I had no idea what psychedelic was at all. That me. I was just launched into chemistry, learning how to... Yeah. Find the fight France around. I'll try to stand in one place for about ten seconds. <laughs> no, it's it's been a long, it It is. long, yes. No. Uh, modern age. It's easier back in the 30s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had a little crystal set, No, well, that's another story. Um, oh, in fact, I found a crystal set. You can you can communicate by means of Ford Spark Coil. Oh, that was marvelous. You hit a Ford Spark Coil and go rattle, rattle, rattle that, and you make a static. And I could communicate with a friend of mine up on Grizzly Peak Boulevard, because he had a little crystal set. It would make noises, and I made things down in Spruce Street. And we'd communicate, and we'd buzz, and he'd hear my Morse code, and he'd answer my Morse code about two miles. Never really seriously heard this, and we're messing up every radio in between. (laughs) (laughs) It was a very neatly pre-World War II time, in which there was a very great emphasis on human beings, and human behavior, humans going on, humans going on. And uh, that evolved into my, my say I went to um, school at Harvard in the early 40s. Uh, At Berkeley they had, I'll get to psychedelics then. Oh! You're doing what? Uh, and, you're, you're you have the clock, could you raise your hand when my time is up? Okay, because I, I, I have a table, but... What time does she start? I start, well, she starts uh, halfway between when I started and 12. No. Oh, slide rule. Uh, I had a, that's not a birth class in birthday often. also not. Slide rule, I'm just going to talk to time for you. And I asked the class, uh, uh, as I usually love asking questions, but I don't know if they're answer or not. What is a logarithm? And almost everyone in the class brought out from his, her, hers pocket a calculator. Okay. And I said, I don't want to know what the logarithm of a given number is. I want to know what a logarithm, logarithm is. And they thought, no actually, knew, they knew how to do things with logarithms. But they know what a logarithm is. And so I said, that's how a slide works. A slide rule works. Now, one person in the class of 75 undergraduates knew what a slide rule was. Everything uh-huh. was calculated. In the old days, when they first went to Cal, all of them had a K and K or K and E or something hanging from their belt, and they go around there, obviously, in engineering. Now they have a the little black thing hanging from their belt, and they do electronics on it. And so I thought I brought in, I had borrowed from a friend a six-foot-long slide rule, and brought it in, and in front of the class, and we had a lecture on laundry with a slide rule the next day. What I did, I I, was, I had a, at Berkeley, they had a process that was known as a subject, a, how many people have been at Berkeley, UC Berkeley? On the campus. On okay, campus? Yeah. Well, well no, well, well, in, well, in, well. in the in the, in the in. But they had what they call subject aid. You had the it to prove you knew the English language and how to, where to put the comma and how to decline a verb. Mm-hmm. And I knew how to talk, kind of. <laughs> but I didn't know the, the fine details. I certainly didn't know the protocol needed to get through this thing, which was to, to write an essay. With one of the problems, had to write the essay. And I'd do it the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Which meant if I went to Cal, I had to take the course in 70 because which was a no credit course. And once you pass it in fact, it correctly, you're absolved of having to do any more uh, required courses in that area. And of course, I closed the test because I didn't have the essay satisfactory. And as uh, so I was told, you'll have to take the course in there. Well, it turned out I got a national scholarship to Harvard instead. And so I went to Harvard <laughs> as an undergraduate there, which was a total. Uh, but at least it, it, I didn't have to take such a day course. <laughs> <laughs> and so once, once I was there, it turned out that I was very much in the minority. I was a little snotty, wise-ass, intelligent, and very independent kid. And all the other people around me, to a large major, were the rich kids, the people who donated to the alumni of Harvard and had that little social status. And I didn't get in. And so the Eagles thing was to join the Navy, because I did, uh, for a few years in Atlantic, Oslo. Uh, and in there, I got my first move from chemistry into into psychological chemistry, mental chemistry. I, I wrote about this in, in the in the first of the books, so but I'll give you a little background of it. Uh, in the Navy, we're sort of two or three days out in the off the coast of England in the Atlantic, we're a, a submarine detail looking for submarines and looking for us. It was a, an interesting, not quite dialogue, but it taught me that there there are people. Who are aggressive as I am on the other side of aggression toward me? So I, I learned to be modest in my in my displaying my still aggression there, but I, I just hide much more use, usefully. Anyway, so I was there and i out there, and I got this tremendous infection in my thumb, and I didn't know what to do about. It, it was very painful. We had on the globe the square for escort, a thing called sick pain, and I kept appealing to people there. I'm hurting. This is no problem. Working, and that's fine. And I was sort of riding the next few days on periodic, quite regular, morphine injections. Which, I mean, the the, strain, the pain was still there. It didn't a It not bother me. a <laughs> you know, strange way of putting the pain aside. I thought about this, That's it, Why is it I have a pain that doesn't hurt? And that What my attention a little bit. And I could say, get a shot of morphine. I could deal cards. I could continue to play uh, poker down below. that uh, I'd go to the upstairs, listen to me, tell to the poker <laughs> Um, and then we finally got into Liverpool, and I was being taken off to a military hospital. But the ship right alongside our ship was a British counterpart of a DE, as suppose it was called. It had its own name, about 300 people, 300 feet long, and a, and a six, 200 people, and people, so 200 people. And since I was a petty officer, you with know, stripes on its one arm but nothing on the hat, uh, I was invited to the petty officer to board this British ship and just like a sloppy drunk what they were drinking is a mixture of beer and very hard liquor. I forget what it was but they blend the two together in mixed drink and a few hours of that I wasn't very with that plus the morphine was <laughs> putting me in a very strange place and then when I got into finally took me by ambulance over to some army hospital somewhere and uh, they looked at this thing you've got to have surgery on that and they gave me at this point I remember very clearly a glass of orange juice is quite solid and I said they are doping you're going to drug me, and I'm not going to. I to take it. I will drink it. I will eat the white solid. But I'll prove to them I am macho enough not to succumb to their subtle drug gain and make me unconscious or something. So I drank the orange juice and drank the, ate the solid, and strictly went this way. I went out. I disappeared. And I came around about 45 minutes later. They had given me a bar, by the way, as a not only a, bar, as, a, as, a IV, as an as a ID injected as an anesthetic. So they could do surgery on my, my, my thumb. And I was supposed to come out of that in three minutes, and came out of that in a half an hour. And so they hoped that I was okay. They did not realize my previous drug history of that day. It was quite, quite horrible. And I asked, what was the drug you put in like, my own shoes? Was that a drug and sugar? Uh, and that was my big lesson. is if a, few, a half teaspoon of sugar could knock me out for a half an hour, uh, I learned what's meant by placebo reaction. It's a very real thing. And that caught. Me at my attention and say, there are things that can affect the mind and the mind's behavior and the mind's going on that cannot easily be explained in terms of chemistry. And so that got me into psycho- sort of psychopharmacology of chemistry. Which is kind of neat, if that kind of fact, we still have a, a short term. Um got back into, I still I with back in Berkeley, took undergraduate work in chemistry, chemistry, graduate work in biochemistry, and got totally fascinated and combed the literature, rather this time... This was in the uh, late 40s, LSD was known, but there's still no, no DMT, no outside and proxy the DMT. These were unknown, unknown materials. But I was intrigued, what was known, I perceived mescaline as a colonian, the very chemistry chemicals that were known in mesclin, I think it's one, two, three, four chemicals were known. Now there are known. At that time there were four. One is synethylamine second is methyl, and two, I suppose an And I was intrigued, anything that was stuck the mind or the, the mental control of the body, I was intrigued, um, with uh, 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 drugs that were known, for example, Yohindia. At that time I had a tremendous reputation of being academic. Well, I was not, I heard of my virginity in England, so I was not totally alien to this type of, of world. And so I tried, I saw Yohindia on the shelf in the biochemical laboratory there, in the of it, and it was very pronounced. It was rather diluted. It was plastic, but the so, so plastic is secret. Plastic is not hard. And that was not satisfactory for me, for other things that went in the same general area, and that's what I couldn't remember. Somewhere I got into graduate school, and about this time, uh, DMT was being had been reported as being in I was intrigued by what I could see in that area. Fellow named Richard Zara in uh, uh, NIH in uh, Washington uh, synthesized all kinds of new things that were homologous kept injecting himself and injecting his friends and I was watching this with a great deal of interest and curiosity about what would come out of it. About, I subsequently talked to a chemist who had been a graduate, not a graduate student I mean sort of a perennial postdoc in his laboratory for a, a year. So uh, I won't get a But he was a he had for about 30, 40 years and still functional as a postdoc. And he goes to a laboratory, i like to be postdoc at work. Give me a little bit of money, and they say, "Here, here's what we're working on." So he'll do a tremendously interesting work, learn a lot of chemistry, publish a paper or two, and he go to another laboratory for a year. doing it for 40 years, he'll never, never had uh, a position. He's in a perennial postdoc. He's been now, So he's a postdoc for Sarah back in eighth grade years. And he told me Sarah <laughs> made a number of compounds, but he had a technician who was doing the getting uh, the things prepared for microanalysis, and uh, he was more interested in being correct in her own eyes and getting credit for what's going on, but actually being a correct job. It's not totally honest. And the latter compounds that she had made, or she had assayed and evaluated, were actually not the, am- the amines that should have been tried, but the amides of the acids from which the amines should have been made and were not supposed to be made. So he told me, he read the little notebook, I've never made it. I never knew any of told polygons, I like to see them sometimes, and said the last three compounds that he saw reported don't believe the result. And the results were, out of injection, they didn't have any effect. And so I held this in the beginning and I began realizing there's a lot of this injectable things that caught my fancy, but not enough to get me actually into that aspect of the, of the area. And so I got involved with some, a very good friend who knew about coyotes. This is probably the uh, latter part of the fifties. And uh, one dear friend of mine said, you know, I got to meet uh, mescaline sulfate, and you'd like to try it. But sure, good, good idea. Well, that was my, my, that was, that aspect of the generality of all. Where <there's> medicine, sulfate. <laughs> I was totally fascinated with it. Curious the molecule. How many people have seen the actual sulfate rather than the hydrosaur? Oh, <laughs> Beautiful. Long needles, gorgeous, just gorgeous. The um, Merck index gives a six degree melting point range. It turns out, whoever did the original melting had a slightly moist snap on, and it melted over six degrees. And to show originality and, and confirmation of other researchers, everyone who's ever made it subject, at least I've seen gives that same 60 degree range. They take it right out of the mercury index, jam it, and then, oh, we are a little bit higher than that. No, it should have been that. We'll put that. So, so the mercury index number has now been confirmed by about 15 indications. So if you it, the actual, if you dry it out, it's not a little bit higher. Anyway, that was my first experience. 100 to 350 milligrams of mercury sulfate. There are about 10 of us together about five of the simple, five of the baby searchers. And that is really what turned my whole world around into the area of psychedelic drugs. The, secondary uh, the uh, experience started the morning. Uh, I was very much enamored driving up the Road to the top of the thing. They had some weird music on, uh, something with Bernstein on the radio that I really, really locked into. I got up to the top. My late wife, is one of the uh, takers of the experiment too. And he and I, getting out of the car on Disney's Polo Arts, I remember remembered great, great clarity. Outside of the car was a gravel edge of the road that went over the fence that went out over the ship. And that gravel edge had little stones that were red and blue and green and what have you. Just beautiful cascades of everything, All colors in the world. And the colors were arranged in most dramatic coordination. Who like could have put the time to put this together this way? Neither of us could get out of the car because to get out of the car, we have to step on this here, and just run it. And so it was great caution. We got out of the car by getting over the stone operation and got <laughs> over the other side, looked back at it, and the next thing I knew, I had seen a little plant that was flowering over the side and there was a bee and The next sitting at that plant. And I went over and watched that bee and it's incredible. I didn't realize, bees had great big hip pockets on both sides because they pollen and all kinds of bees down there. <laughs> and I watched that bee and the bee kind of glanced me 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 went on and did this little flower thing, and I just watched, total fascination, the, the interaction between the bee and the flower, and then the interaction between me and the bee. I looked at the flower, flower, right now, flower leaf, right now, this, this is the, the dialogue I had going, and this was, such, it must have been an hour and a half for that, bee to like flowering all that, you that way. I watched this entire operation going on, then I got later on over to the flower area, and I got one of these flowers, and in the middle of the flower, down in the bowels of the flower, was the most beautiful gradation of color I've ever seen in my life. went down deeper, 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 darker, darker. But as it went down deeper and darker, it changed color. It changed hue. It went from one aspect of the spectrum to another, all the way down. And I, I kept the flower for a long time. This is a, like a souvenir of what went on. I saw colors that day that, frankly, cannot exist. I've always been reasonably colorblind. Hmm. And all of a sudden, I saw shades and varieties of colors. That were actually unprecedented in my mind. I can't remember. I still big colored that that day is vivid. But the big lesson out of that day at the end of the day, finally got back on the first thing that playing on the radio. Um, I got back and I was totally entranced, and then I was totally wrong in what I came to as a conclusion. I came to the conclusion that this drug, this mystical drug, did extremely powerful, incredible, revealing open things to me. And I thought this thing a little bit more clearly and said, this, that's what's in it. This drug is 350 milligrams of a white crystal inside. It. it doesn't have inside of it these colors, this understanding, this appreciation, this awareness, all that. That's all in me. And all this drug does is allows me to see what is this it. And let that come out, a catalytic concept, let it come out of me, what is in there all the time, I've never looked at before. So that really got my process. And if this little... Now, I will use a, oh, blue on black, I, I, black on, black on part. Uh, and you're on a, uh, where'd you go? You're on a, one, uh, 11, uh, 11 Okay, I'll do that. I started at 9.30, but I had 10 o'clock up here. Okay. I'm going to draw one of two dirty pictures, and then that'll be it someday. Uh, when I gave the lecture a couple days ago, I used a great wiggle, 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 wiggle with <laughs> a star in the middle of it. I said, this is a very, a, a, a very stable and said mildly basic thing. In this case, it's the benzene ring. Here's the two bumps. I said two carbon separations. And a very simple strong base. See, so let's have a weak base. Two carbon separation, and a strong base. That's a mess. Oh, Pimethoxazine. A very simple molecule, very simple to synthesize. I went off in the lab and synthesized it with no problem. That time I was working in an industrial laboratory at the Dow Chemical Company, and uh, I was doing to name it. Pardon? Oh, okay. I was working that time in a in a, or in a uh, industrial laboratory called Dow Chemical Company, and when I wrote the book, I ended up calling it the Dow Chemical Company. I was going to name it T A U Chemical Company, I thought that would be too subtle. <laughs> so I went to Joel instead of the teacher now, um, and I synthesized it, and by God, I confirmed indeed indeed it did what it was supposed to do. So at this point, there has now. At this point, I'm reviewing it in the history of things, LSD now is known, uh, DMT is just at this, about this stage being discovered as being psychoactive, so that just brings, brings forth uh, the work that's going on in, in the eastern part of the United States. Uh, you was still see the skill and I was involved in this, and I began to say, if a simple molecule like this can reveal what's in me, can, can, can pull stuff out of my unconscious in this way, I'll would happen if I mucked around the molecule a little bit. And a lot of things can be So what I did, I'll just point. Here's a beautiful thing up here. If you were to put a methyl group, I will do a little bit of chemistry then I'll get away from here. A methyl group down there, you have to put its nose, in the uh, generic trade as, as, as amphetamine. And this is, amphetamine doesn't have any this garbage on the left. But if you put that garbage in the left and have an amphetamine, you have something, well, what's it called? I gave the name of And the abbreviated TMA, which is start of a long cascade of letter codes that I started stuffing in your literature. So I made TMA, worked up to where I got acne. It active actually quite a important question, quite a surprise. Uh acne, fair amount of color, but none of the drama of nestling. I still had my little flower left over uh, from an earlier insectary flower, but the same type of flower was opening like thing. It was on the coffee table, which so I enamored with nestling. I looked at this flower and said, "Yeah, it's kind of pretty down in there. i worked worked it. I tore it apart to look inside. Something I could not have done before. But I didn't it. Hazard, tear something apart to investigate. It's time to take a look several people from New Nestle. We got into this sort of thing, and a lot of people were got some afterwards. is not at all-common to business one. And the music was involved again, but of all things, it was slaughter on which avenue is it? Yes. Flutter on, yeah. yeah. on Fifth Avenue? Fifth Avenue. Flutter on one of those avenues <coughs> in New York on the radio, which is a very aggressive thing, and it probably kindled an aggression with the producer was doing the experiment. But we ended up not very big things for a while. There was a strange change to mess with this. They said, hey, that's bringing a whole new bunch of things out of individuals. And so, you know, there's a certain amount of, what's uh, a grateful way of singing anywhere in Uh tectonic uh, enthusiasm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I have to come to. And so if one carbon does that, what about two, three, four, five, six? And so, there so, I just went down the line and I went to the lab and I synthesized two carbon compound three carbon, four, five, six. I drew the seven but I didn't have a starting material, so I jumped to the number eight. So I had a whole cascade of white solids along the line, low, lower, loading points to to the right. And I could come go through all of these and see what other things revealed. So by the time I made the eighth of these things, I had actually the second of these things, no know came at all. So it suddenly occurred to me this is this can't be the end of the line, but it tells me that this is not the direction in which Things will develop. So I kept the most active of those. The one is this molecule there, and uh, well, and you have three things on a hexagon. One end of which is hang a hexagon from a Christmas tree. You have five things around here. I have things put on this way. How many ways can you attach three things to a dangling hexagon on a Christmas tree? Six ways. One, two, three, four, two, three, five, two, three, six, two, four, five, two, whatever it is, two, four, six. Six ways of doing it. It made all sense. Made the other five. I put them along in a row and began saying each of those. The very first of these, which is the one I'm going to test with uh, The first arrangement is, this is three four five. The first one is two four five. And 5. we will chuck them. We'll talk about that later. Sometime. If you'll let me go from here, nothing. Here, probably a better way to do that. But I'll, re- I'll rotate the molecule upside down. So you have two four five. This is the second one that I synthesized. They're called a TMA2. And it was active. But I was quite surprised at this activity. Just built down at this point. I made the compound and that assayed at two milligrams, nothing, five milligrams, nothing, ten milligrams, nothing, a million something, I don't know. So I took twenty milligrams. And I, I learned at that point you, when you find a little something at one level you don't double up that
2: level.
1: <laughs> so I found myself uh, wanting to get out of a flow of people. And the only place out of the floor of people was the, the janitor's closet that meant to be place in there. So I went into the janitor's closet and closed the door from the side to so stumble across where I was. And I got quite fascinated because the janitor uses to clean up things, brushes, soup cans, uh, tart, with all this stuff, sawdust with muc in it, and oil this and wax that and lubricate it. And I got totally fascinated in the janitor's complimentary, uh, but I was in there for about an hour and a half before I realized I think I now can come out and face the world. And so I learned a good lesson that you don't just beat up to new levels unless you have a plan or a retreat or some way of getting out of the flow of things. So TMA2 proved to be ten times more potent than DNA. So suddenly I realized that there is a element of potency that is very <coughs> real and uh, my first approach was the science the most potent. And I've backed away from that, now to find the most interesting, the most revealing, the most productive. And it's nice if it's potent, because you don't take as much material. But on the other hand, potency is almost secondary to the quality and nature of the, of the actual intoxication itself. So, so I ran through the other six of them, other four of them. And one area that I found to be actually fascinating, if they're all on opposite corners, if I share this news with you, uh, instead of boom, boom, bing, boom, boom, bomb. if you put it in two, four, six position, three, eight, six, it was a six of the, of the six I made, Uh it's only two, four. Well, initially it wasn't. Do you remember that football game at Berkeley and a cow football game you were at? Oh, okay. you remember the cow cow football game you And since we had already checked it was not to be we took a slightly larger dose of fuel into a cow football game. I was uh, <laughs> in the cow stadium, and we both had to have a 40 or 50 milligrams of TMA6 on board. And about the end of the first quarter, we kind of wish we were not at the football game. <laughs> <laughs> it in a very, very distinct manner. It's uh, very, very not colorful, not motion so much as really kind of a stone, but a good stone.
0: And we got in there, we got
1: through that safely, we went down to dinner at down at the of University of Berkeley. Uh, that was not a good place. Not the only but that we were not. <laughs> uh, so uh, it told me that 245 and 246 both are very active orientations, and uh, not having two lives, we need i have led than 245 ones we are just nibble a little bit in the 246. And it put all the information in, the, in the And somewhere, somewhere along the line, I don't know who it is, some chemist down the line, maybe ten years over there, perhaps over younger know, in Switzerland or something, is going to find the two four six and say, hey, these things are just in fact. Why not do the two four six? What's got done in the two four five? And he's going to find a fabulous area. I'm sure, a pharmacology. But for him to find, I am off to other areas. But I went back and used this two four five as a as a little structural nucleus, because there's to so having found this, what are you going to do? Well, methoxy, there is a uh, one group large methoxy called an ethoxy, E for ethoxy, M for methoxy. So I took each of these three methoxy groups, and three ethoxy three separate states. And then to be systematic, I took P and Q and all. So I made the six possible methoxy homologues. The four methoxy, the one that is down opposite that chain, is the only one that was active, so I suffered that, I made the pro-coxy, new also active, then I began exploring other aspects of this. I made the methylene dioxy, and, well, the two with the methoxy, with two with no methoxy. With no methoxy, was a known compound at that point called MDA. And that led to the methylation of MDMA, which was in the nucleus that set back in weird exploration, <laughs> to my mind, to this weird exploration of these various nitrogen. But the very really interesting direction of that at that point that I found to real fascinating was taking that, that fourth methoxy position. And that's the first thing I said to my product so you take that methoxy off, push you hydrolyze off. It could be a metabolic fragility point in that molecule. I take that 4-methoxy group and put something on it, it couldn't hydrolyze off. And so I said, put a methyl group on So I took the methoxy off, it seems on the blackboard, it's e easy in the laboratory to start with, and made 25 five methoxy for methyl uh, amphetamine. I said, you know, if the situation... You know, I, I've left Dallas just for a while. In fact, I had so written a patent on this compound a minute ago. It's um, four methyl compound. I said, a situation that you can't lose if this material is, gets to the reactive site where that is in the brain and goes into that site in the vacuum, you get yourself a wild That way, if it gets into that site successfully and it's not active, you so have something that blocks that site and it might keep metal in Either way, you've got to live. So that's all you need to make the compound. Made it. It turned out to be a very, very potent compound, long-lived and potent. Uh, since I've taken the oxygen off, I called it desoxy. I put a methyl group on. I put methyl on, so I called it D-O-M. So desoxy, methyl, desoxy, ethyl, But D-O-M turned out to be an interesting complication in its own way. I remember I gave a seminar John Hopkins, on this sort of thing. I was now... All right, I had left out, give seminar at Johns Hopkins and talk about this BLM compound. And I should have been attending the fact there were a couple of, uh, very casually dressed people in the audience, uh, you know, long hair, uh, Hate aspirate type clothes. I realized later that they were the Hate Ashbury, I think. And they caught the structure of DLM, and they were taking scribble notes and they disappeared. And I was over in the Hate aspirate at that time in the age 1966, like, 67. We talked about that the other day, the of love. And I was up to medical school uh, trying to learn where the anatomy of the brain was. In medical school, I remember walking through the Hain Asteroid, and I remember very specifically, that day, we were having a quiz later today on the Circle of Willips. And I was wondering how many entries there were around the little Circle of Willips in the brain. That was my memory band. All around me, people were stoned, and what they called STP. I had no idea what STP was. That stood for uh, serenity, tranquility, and placidity. No one could say placidity, so it came out to be uh, serenity, tranquility, and peace. And in the local jargon, it became, became "stopped the police." And in the police jargon, it became "too stupid to puke. You <laughs> had this general thing everywhere, and what it had happened? Apparently, someone had gotten my, my lecture of eight and knew it was a very potent compound, and made it up. But of all things. Uh, since they must have tried it themselves, they may have up not in five milligram tablets, which would be a good good level. So five milligrams is quite enough. If you're into for quite a while. But maybe up have 20 milligram tablets. Because they had tried it and it found out it didn't come on very fast. And so people were told it's kind of like LSE, they take a 20 milligram tablet, and hourly not much is happening, yet they could take a little tablet. Oh, you okay. so have people coming in to pay aspirates 40 milligrams on board. And five milligrams. right out of and so it got a very bad reputation very quickly, very roughly, and they didn't know what it was. I was asked, what, what is this thing? I have no idea. It took me six months to uncover that decision. It was better so. my from years earlier. And that was a development in that direction with the uh, rather interesting uh, extension of, of the psychedelic area. From that, I said, well, if, if a um, method group does all this, what's my time? Am I, what's, the, what's, what's, it? what's right behind you? Well, oh, 2211.
0: 11, 11. I'm for roughly
1: 11. And then we have questions. Go. Yeah. Yeah. speak louder. There is a microphone up here for you, by the way. <laughs> oh, I got one more. I'll speak louder. Remind uh, me, mean, if I don't have to pull an aught and fade away in the distance again, it's, 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 no crickets out there. No, we okay. uh, So I said, you know, if, if a great big group, like a methyl group, that's on there, and it makes them for a long time, and they can't metabolize off. What about putting other things on there that won't metabolize off, and what happens? So I put a fluorine, a chlorine, a bromine, and iodine. Fluorine, it's not interesting, chlorine, is not interesting, bromine, it's, interesting. it's, interesting. it's, interesting. it's interesting. So it's D-O-V, I call it D-O-V, and uh, found a fascinating compound out of it. Again, it takes a few hours to come on. It lasts for the rest of the day and into the next morning and you are finally filled them off me 24 hours later. Mm-hmm. We did the fact work at Berkeley at this point. I had already resolved my relationship with industry, resolved my relationship with medical school, and completed what I wanted to do at medical school, and I got involved with the nuclear medicine crowd over at Berkeley. which was marvelous. We had equipment you could not imagine, something we couldn't afford to buy. Cyclotrons, gamma scanners, all this beautiful stuff, and I worked with people who like, had the keys to everything. And we just did whatever we wanted to do as actually just right it. So we did we went up tack autonomies with bromine eighty two and put bromine eighty two in the DOB and put the DOB in the ark to see what happens. <laughs> you lay down on a on a on a scanner, the little bed that moves along across the room. Under the bed is a battery of, of gamma detectors, that are about fifty or so gamma detectors, and as the bed moves over the top, it's as if the gamma detector was moving up the body. And on the screen over there, down come the, the what do you call the horizontal things or a screen? And it would show where the gamma is taking You see an outline of the body, and then up to the bed again. Do it again and you get Another outline of the body. About every minute, you get an outline of the body, and we're all done. We photograph these, we as time lapse photography, and see the dynamic of that chemical, that radioisotope going into the body. Uh, you what we put it in there, stand over there. First thing, of course, we'll sloppy the injection. A little bit of radioactivity around here. You can see the bladder grow from a ping-pong ball to a cantaloupe over a couple of hours because the really tends being be in the bladder, you knew that was. And in the body, about four or five percent of radiation went into the lung, but not the brain. Totally the fascinating. The activity in the thing is the lung. The lungs have a lot of neurons in it. The one always seems to know the psychedelic, turn-on, mental-processed brain. By the same, maybe, but not the lung. But I anyway, mean, it went into the lung, and then after about an hour, hour and a half, the lung level began dropping down, but the brain level started up. And apparently something is going in the lung is probably something in the second suck and get body, next to the liver. And apparently the lung is converting this thing into something else. It still carries the radioactive It leaves the brain, and then it's when you begin to turn on. So the lung is starting to move here. So the lung, really, producing a producing a... Um, is uh, treating the global compounds of pro as being metabolized as something that goes into the brain, and that's exactly the real. And this has been a, month, been a month trying to isolate it, and we've never found it, but it is. But it's fascinating. And then, and then some of made the interesting suggestion, "What I bet you did, you bet you injected particulate stuff, and it got caught in the circulation of the lung, and that's why it's here. So we made the other batch of it and swallowed so the stem, it the gut, and it still went through the lung. And I've got some beautiful photographs of In fact, that's how I met this gal before I met Anne. She was on the research group at at Lawrence Lab, and I have a photograph of most of us lying on the scene, but in her case, it's a different picture entirely of her uh, her, transparency on the oscilloscope. was quite different shape, but it. No, it That's another thing. Uh, Uh, Then we got into, pursuing further, the iodine compound is totally fascinating, also long-lived, so no dosing, take two or three milligrams or all you need. Take uh, uh effect in you know, three or four hours. You get be pretty effective. It's not the last lasts 36 hours. It's not really one of these uh, weekend things, but <laughs> it's a very interesting thing. It's one of the most potent, uh, monamine, uh, most potent uh, uh, serotonin agonists that's known, being sold virtually, by the way. DOB got a wild popularity about 15 years ago, and it's taken on the schedule of drug use. But DOI was never found. It. And so there are these companies that sell neurotransmitter agonists and what have you. I think it's a three-letter job. any RBI. RBI, 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 RBI. And they sell DOI as a, as a research chemical. And once they discovered it was a the psychedelic, they tripled the price. It was still being so as a research chemical. And uh, DOB is illegal. DOI is totally innocuous. legal. that is. And so if you want to get some D or L, I can move to a very interesting psychedelic. Have a good letter hand contact the company. They were bought by Sigma. They right. yeah. were bought so, yeah. by Sigma.
0: You don't have to go through the Sigma. You know, the oh my, right. Sigma, and that Sigma was bought by Aldrich. Yeah,
1: it's yeah. oh, yes. all one Yeah, all one thing. yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, you used to have laws against the monopoly. Okay, and uh, that was the O.I. You know, I of uh, rambling along. I still got some time. Uh, yeah. What I did, I originally started to start a mess room which had two carpets. Messers, without this methyl group, so I went back to that phenethylamine entity But said, all these interesting compounds are kind of neat, but What would happen if you make the same thing but so with a two-carbon background? And so this I uh, dubbed the whole group of things 2C for 2 carbon, and went back to the whole thing again, 2CB, 2CP, 2CPP, 2CB for the global compound, 2CI for the iodine. There's another example. The uh, 2CB is a Schedule I drug in the United States. 2CI is equally potent. totally unscheduled. A little harder to make, but not that much harder to make. So these things are out there. Then I, I thought, you know, another hetero I hadn't considered was sulfur. And so I put sulfur in there, and uh, sulfur and thiol, so I call that 2CT. Made a whole bunch of these, up to about 20, 25, 20, 25 or something. And I saw something that was going to be an unlimited, un- unending task for you to put there's the out there, there's the oxygens out there, Beyond the sulfur, I can make compounds of fluorose, uh, oxygen, sulfur, carbon, hydrogen, and that's six atoms, and I think the new atom record, I wonder how to make seven, but I haven't taken that away yet, in one, in one second out of compound. And so I stopped at about 20 or 25, because I thought it was going to go on forever and be totally captivating, but absolutely boring, from the point of the all new compounds have been of the active, but not new structures. So I sort a of abandoned of the thing and went to the other half of the coin, which is the TPT, which had not been well explored. Here, one more dirty picture. Again, the of, of the other day's lecture: the wiggle, wiggle star, and the and the and the thing inside of it. In this case, is entirely different type of structure. I'll turn around and shot in a moment. This material is known as tritamine. And in my eyes, it's the second half of the psychedelic world. Instead of the system being a hexagon uh, aromatic stability, this happens to be a two-ring system, but again, an aromatic stability point, with two carbons and also nitrogen. Exactly the same type of system as the phenethylamine. It metabolizes and splits and does all kinds of things in the same general sort of way. This is dimethyl tryptamine, known as an oxygen here, which is silocin as the phosphate ester is psilocybin, known as the oxygen out here. This is the defottening that uh, uh, Jonathan was talking about at some length. And there's the methyl group out there, you have cyberfoxy DMT. This is basically what was known at that time. i put a wire over Hank, right? So what 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 again what are you gonna do with this? Well start out with the off. easiest group to work on, the end methyl. and ethyl and ethyl is known, has to be illegal cluster since one more of the ethyl di is known. But uh dipropyl, isopropyl, dibule, diamol, cyclo, poly polymethylene were not known, so I made them and began tasting them in the same sort of way. And five of the fascinating early ones was the n and diisopropyl tryptamine. So isopropyl is a, a three-carbon dye put in the middle instead of the end. So it's iso, sort of normal. I uh, made the n and diisopropyl tryptamine. I remember that one very cleanly. Uh, I was in the kitchen, and I had tried, I think I was up to 20 milligrams, or 31 milligrams, <laughs> kind of looking for visuals, looking for color, for artwork, what have you. And I heard "Forward, forward, four Piece of music in the radio. And it turned out to be uh, Britain, Britain, uh young people's Guide to the Symphony in Britain. We're playing Young People's Guide to the Symphony, and I've listened to it. And I think it probably was Neil Peter's junior college amateur symphonic Music because something. It was horrible. It was out of tune. The tempo was okay, a little bit slow, but the music was absolutely irresponsibly bad. <laughs> and how could you get this many people together in one group and actually? Well, I've had a live broadcast because they don't really record this one. <laughs> and at the end, it turned out to be a very famous conductor. A very famous orchestra playing it. So I began exploring a little old And I took out my fiddle and uh tried playing a note. Without a tune today, I'm okay. I tried playing a double stop. And I could not get a double stop into tune. We'd take two notes at once, without a two. I began to a two. Point is all pitches, all sound things, were depressed in their frequency. And you heard them as a lower note but it was not repressed in a uniform way, as if you put your spelling outside an LP to slow everything down, it was repressed in a in a, an additive way, and if you took away 43 cycles, so to speak, from each note, and here's anything that's harmonic totally tonic, aharmonic, out of, out of, out of sight. And so I began exploring the one, it's an interesting little thing. Um, I explored it, indeed, with persistence with just as a passing board. There was the experiments on two people with perfect pitch, uh, and one was with uh, the pitch was stuck with a piano, write, and the other pitch was with a sine wave generator, so you couldn't argue harmonically, and the pitch. And what we did, what was done, boy, what was done was have, play a note, have the person say what the note was, record the note, what it really was, and see what the error is. And we plot the error like this, and, as the gun came on, the error got big, and then finally came down again, and finally went back to, to, to the basement. So in this instance. You have found a way of almost objectively measuring the chronology of the drugs affecting the mental process. It's fascinating. no real help. What the hell use of this well, my first thought was that everyone want to compete in a blind audition for a place in the sentiment. And uh, and I say I was a social player, and the guy on the other side of the street was maybe a little bit better teleplay, I put some of this in his coffee. <laughs> 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 Uh it is, this stands out as being a material that affects the article. I'd love to take the compound, that was two isopropyl groups, in the, without the methotics. What's the methotics if you're compound entirely? I would love to get that and put a carbon-11 in there, and get it in the brain, we also have the keys in the phosphatidylography camera, and how to make carbon-11, very simple, you go to the time and you can make carbon-11 in about three hours. Get carbon-11 into this molecule somewhere, I'm not quite sure where I put it. Medium, I hope it see it, hope it stays, and get it into the brain and see <coughs> where it goes in the section of the brain because it doesn't go to the visual, it goes to the auditory. And, golly, you know, half the people who are learning, more than half, uh, half they see things, they don't see things, they hear things. I'm telling you the way I talk to God, or it's this kind of thing. Auditory, not vision. And so maybe you could find between people who are normals and people who are schizophrenic a thing that could use this as a call for determining the localization, of the auditory distortions that are sometimes a feature of normal illness. Never, never done that. You still have to do it some day. Pursuing on, uh, the methoxy, the hydroxy group in that fourth position, the psilocybin uh, thing, uh, I've always been intrigued by it. Psilocybin, psilocybin, lots of people have talked about this in the mushroom world. Uh, which, uh, and in animals, psilocybin which has a great big horrible, water soluble, hydrophilic group on the oxygen and out here is a very hydrophilic ammonium ion at the end of the chain, and that the, you know, that the ammonium ion, forms a thing that is very water-soluble, but in the body of animals, at least, it's found that that big phosphate group is ripping right off, and what's left is the hydroxychloric actually in the low, and into the active material, certainly active in man, is connected to the same activity as psilocybin. And just about uh, 3, 4, 5, 6, eight months ago, a work was done cooking working, it so shows that in man, Glyphosate comes off, and the material is silent. Someone asked me the other day about the stability of the alcohol solution of psilocybin. I said it'd quite casually so it would be quite stable. Well, if you it is, because methanol and alcohol is very often used for extraction of psilocybin from lithium. It's a water soluble extract, a beautiful white crystal solid. The free phenol, the free envelope, uh, turns blue quite easily. You may keep it in the cold, in the dark, in, in, in under uh, in inert atmosphere, and it's still.
2: This
1: color is quite rapid. So I made some of those. I made groups out in my five position. Then explored get further, discovered that if you uh, put groups down in here, you don't need these at all. I made material as methyl group here. In fact, this compound is an interesting one. This, uh, rather than the uh, 5 methoxy methyl trychnine I took advantage, I will draw one more degree picture if put up in it. This is the factor of serotonin, which is one of the major transmitters, neurotransmitters and functionals of the brain. the Serotonin thing, and so at this I said, why? the serotonin is neat. Everyone about uh, Serotonin is kind of neat because everyone talks about it being the thing that is important in the brain. The thing, the axons of which are chewed up by MDMA in animals, and the thing that might possibly contribute to any troubles with excessive MDMA use. And this is never been a man, but it's certainly a real possibility. And if serotonin, if you put serotonin into the, into the bloodstream, none it gets in the brain. It doesn't get in the brain because it's got a great big polar group at the right-hand end, nitrogen, which is hydrolyzed off quite readily by the monomial oxidases. And it's got a great big polar OH group at the other end of the brain that's more assignment. It doesn't like to go through blood-brain barriers and such. And so I said, why not make this compound so it will go through the blood-brain barrier? So, whereas the is deaminated, with a methyl group there, it will not be deaminated anymore. So this, this protects it from enzymatic destruction. In place of the hydroxy group, I put a methoxy group on which makes it suddenly not poor and should go through the brain okay with that. So I named this compound alpha o dimethylserotonin DMS, and went at it added with some caution, uh, and discovered that it was extraordinarily potent at the mg, taken orally into the brain. So, this, this is a, a very interesting compound. I explored it quite a bit. Uh, I had uh, four people, at, uh, at, the, at least in our first trial, almost everyone in our research group, had rather vivid nightmares, not very nice nightmares, too. Uh, falling down, cracks opening in the earth, people falling into, usually, casualties, Uh That My case, I had a very marvelous nightmare, in which uh, adventure and everyone died. Uh, but it was neat. I mean, it was, it, it was, a, it was an exciting day for everyone. <laughs> uh, it was a. Uh, were all of you in California yeah. having these cracks? These cracks. Most in San
2: Francisco, of
1: course. That's what people were. The. I remember the night when I got that nightmare. I said that was great, uh, and that's when I woke up with a dream, it was a, it was a very vivid dream. But I said, don't worry, I'll write it up later. <laughs> uh, and I did and about ten or fifteen la- years later. I said, the time has come to write up that nightmare. Yes. I remember every detail of it for 15 years with no notes. And I wrote in a chapter in the second book called, uh, the, well, the pants off, you know, that was fine. Pants off. Pants off is my slang name for, for pants off. That's a church of and pants off thing. The reason my notes were called "Dare ass, but that's because pants off. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I wrote that thing up, and, it was, and everyone died at the end of the little we scene, but the fun thing to reconstruct... Out of memory. From a dream, I don't remember dreams. But, but 15 years later, that dream was still so uh, It was totally uh, written for a movie. Entries here, entries there, people coming in, people going out, dialogue. I found it was absolutely fascinating. Fascinating topic. Anyway, made those alkyl groups, <laughs> red areas, not been explored at all. If you put a methyl group down in here, you block it from monamine oxidase inhibition so things become more orally um, after keep down in here come off very readily and serve as you know, unstable, often in the needs. What else have they done in the trichamine area? Put a lot of the same stuff together in peacock. not as expensive a collection of compounds as in PECAL. On the other hand, I haven't done as much work with it. I think in many ways the generality, There are people who love the Phenephylamines and can't don't carry that much and the trichamine, vice versa, people who love the trichamine just read the area to go to the kind of dull. To me, means rather than being dull, are warm, earth-like, pale, brown, friendly things without a great deal of drama and trauma, mm. to me, tryptamines are vital, moving, dramatic things without the warm, earth-like components, so I, I find the book, the brain seems quite different in the, in the nature of their, of their general quality of nature. Okay, where am I? Where am I? Where am I Why am I here? Who am I, why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> As vice president with uh, the guy with big ears in Texas. Sorry, Ross Perot. Ross Perot. Who was his vice president? The general Stockdale. or an admiral? Stockdale. Admiral uh, Stockdale. 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 He's the one who's trying to say, who am I, why am I here? Yep. Beautiful TV
2: introduction. <laughs> no
1: one got a valid answer to that. Um, I happen to know the person that uh, a member of the South in San Francisco. Uh, he is you know, relatively dull, even though right. What else is here? I've done not a great deal outside of the area. made a few analogs with uh, TTP. Never were places ketamine at all. Well. Uh, THC is now known. Oh, I had an interesting thing with THC. This is a non-microscopic component of marijuana. I think some of you have heard of the drug. It's not actually explored. Uh, I was in a very interesting situation. Time wise. Three minutes. You're, you're going to be on for. Uh, I was uh, when I was still at Cal. I a very <laughs> interesting visit concerning marijuana. Uh, some people came out and they drew on a blackboard a uh, thing called atoms carbon compound. Which is, it's an analog of THC. And they drew a cascade of reactions on this side. And Blackboard, well, these people, I familiar with were from Edward Arsenal, which is a chemical warfare crowd of the army. And they drew a bunch of structures on this side. But the compound that was the summation of these two lines of reasoning could not be drawn because we could not admit there were in it because it's classified and they didn't, didn't want to violate classification. But they wanted to ask people, cameras, they're going to industry to get people ideas, how best to do this, how best to do this, without mentioning what the product is. And so I happened to be inviting them in, so I'm just I'm bouncing around. I said, well, what you're doing here is you're trying to make advertising carbon compounds. And that's like all this practice is even alone but they knew what I was talking about. I said, well, you can't just make that, because you're introducing new chiral centers, and you've got eight different isotopes that can be made, Isotopes that can be made, You've got to make all eight activators to prepare one with the other. So it's better just put an ice in the molecule and you have an and you'll get your active component <coughs> without having to worry about that. Dead so uh, I was um, actually eating a nice way. I got out, the conversation went on. About a month later, my father was left a widower. With my mother's death, he and my ex-wife and my son and I went on a trip over to Europe to spend a year in France. And as we were going to the Caribbean, over near Trinidad. I got it knocking on the door. There was a the cabin about fourth deck yeah, down, no outside right at all. And the radio man, who was going quite quite cozy later, uh, said, I got a, a, a weird message for you, a radio message from uh, RCD Little Company, an outfit in the Boston, near Boston. Uh, and he gave it to me, and here was this argument. Please, when you get to Trinidad, give us a phone call. Uh, our number is such and such, reverse call. Okay, I went back then about five minutes later, I got another knock on the door, again the radio man. I got another message that tracked and said, don't bother with it. It's the same thing. to send in duplicates. Thank you. I went back to bed. Next day we phoned in Trinidad, and I got into a, a phone booth and called this number in Massachusetts, uh, R.C. Little. And he said, we're very interested in some comment you made to some people we are doing contract work with about putting nitrogen into tetrahydrocannamonol as the, the active component of marijuana and maybe making alkaloid out of it. I believe the nitrogen position you mentioned was such and such. And I said, Yeah, that was it. He said, How would you make that compound? I said, I'd go to the literature and, and see how parallel things are made and write it out from that. Well I said, You're going to be landing in London in about seven days and twenty four hours or twenty three minutes or something. They knew exactly to there. Mm-hmm. When you get there, would you please express mail to us from such and such your entire synthetic plans for this for this particular alkaloid thing? and we appreciate getting them at that time because we have to file our patent within another 24 hours. So here I am on the uh, Tucson, a big P&O line, uh, I think it doesn't exist anymore, uh, passenger ship, going across the Atlantic. The only library I have access to is, is the library at the up in the, in the passenger's library, which has an old copy of Thesaurus and not much else, and here I'm supposed to write a several-page synthetic process for synthesizing uh, an alkaloid analog of THC. So yeah, I sort of retired and went back into a photographic memory and pulled stuff out of the German literature of the and I wrote out about a ten or twelve page plan and got into England, email, not email, there wasn't an email at the time, it uh, was fast mail, uh, over from England to Massachusetts, they got it just in time, they filed for the patent, the patent was issued, Finally the Bristol, I think the Bristol Myers, the Bristol something laboratory, and uh, when I got back, I was given the dollar, for having been an author on a patent. Uh, they, so at that time you didn't share uh, the rewards of the patent, you got a dollar for having been employed and contributed <laughs> a patent. And it turns out you always had a little deal with the patent officer in the company, and you flip a coin, and the king said, he took your dollar. The king said, he paid max value, dollar, you got two dollars. <laughs> you either had zero dollars or two dollars <laughs> for any patent you got in the industry at that time. And the thing actually went ahead into about phase two with the uh, big company in Chicago, Allied. I think Allied, or something close to Allied pharmaceuticals. And it got to phase two and never went anywhere beyond that. An interesting compound, but it was that amalgamation of alkaloid and THC, which I was totally enamored with, and it was not a very interesting combination. And in general, I found that if you have an interesting compound and more interesting compounds, you try to bring them together and make a bigger, twice as compound, is dull still. It sort of falls apart and nothing you. You stick with what you've got and modify it in little increment, and play with it and it is the hour and I'll open for questions and when I'm done I will come up and breathe while you thank <laughs> <laughs> you you're listening to the Psychedelic Salon where people are changing their lives one thought at a time
0: And unfortunately, Matt's tape ran out, and so we don't have that question-and-answer session. But I have to admit that listening to this talk again after having first heard it ten years ago in that big open-air conference room at the top of the hill overlooking the Chanca Hotel, well, it sure brought me right back to those wonderful days in Palenque. I guess that the one feature of those conferences I enjoyed most was that for a week everyone lived together in cabins in a little village-like setting and all of our meals were shared in the hotel's open-air dining room up above the pool where uh, some of the talks were held at the bottom of the pool. And that meant that there was always a lot of interaction between the attendees and the presenters. I guess it was a day or so after the talk we just heard that there was an afternoon session at the foot of the pool that I decided to skip and uh, do... uh, well, what shall I say, some personal explorations. So, I was sitting at the little outdoor seating area just off the dining room and looking down in the pool where the lecture was going on when a hummingbird that was uh, working its way from one flower to the next on the big banana trees planted just below where I was sitting well it came and began to examine me up close. It was a really spectacular experience that lasted for several minutes with that beautiful bird just a few inches away from my face. It was a magical moment indeed. But as soon as the bird flew away and went back to the flowers, I heard Sasha's voice behind me saying, you must be giving off some very good vibrations, what are you on? (laughs) And then he sat down next to me and for the next hour or so we talked about how similar his experiences in the Navy were during World War II to mine during the American war in Vietnam. And we talked about other things as well, but not about chemistry. Uh, mainly because I don't remember a thing from my chemistry courses in college, and I didn't think I could fake it with him. But as soon as the talk down below us finished, it was uh, like Sasha was this powerful magnet, because before long, dozens of our friends joined us, and the talk immediately shifted to chemistry. With us that year were several world-class chemists, uh, some of whose tasty treats I'm sure that many of our fellow Saloners have now enjoyed. And they began the discussion with Sasha that uh, may or may not have led to some of the new compounds floating around these days. But I didn't understand the word that they were saying. (laughs) They may as well have been conversing in Chinese as far as my comprehension was concerned. But that's not really what I wanted to mention in closing today's podcast. Last week, as you know, after a long break, I finally got a new program out. And I mentioned all that had happened in the weeks that I had been away. Then, the very next day after I posted the program, the earthquake and tsunami hit Japan and the world changed even more. To say that my heart goes out to the valiant Japanese people is an understatement. I can't even uh, watch the news from there without crying, particularly for the young children whose lives are going to be forever shaped by this unimaginably horrific event. Now, I realize that governments around the world have marginalized the important medicine that Sasha Shulgin reintroduced to the world, namely MDMA, whose street name is ecstasy, but perhaps it's time for some intelligent people in Japan to take a close look at the work that Dr. Michael Mitoffer and his wife Annie have done treating post-traumatic stress disorder using MDMA, along with professional psychotherapy. Even the U.S. Pentagon has now approved Dr. Mithoffer's study protocol for returning veterans of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. And for years, the psychedelic community has known about what a potent medicine MDMA can be when administered by trained therapists. In fact, Myron Stolaroff even wrote a book about it in 1997 titled The Secret Chief. And I can tell you from first-hand experience that MDMA, when used in therapy, can work miracles for people suffering from PTSD. I won't bore you with the details, but I'm here to tell you that had MDMA never come into my life, I'm sure that you and I wouldn't be here together in cyberdelic space right now. Sadly, there are severe penalties for anyone who treats patients with MDMA outside of the one or two approved studies taking place right now. And while I've been told that it is even against the loss in some places to advocate using an illegal substance... I would be remiss in not pointing out the obvious fact that a significant number of people in Japan will most likely now be PTSD victims, and that there actually is a way to relieve the emotional distress associated with that disease. Hopefully, word of this potential miracle drug will one day find its way to people in Japan who are in a position to, at the very least, begin some research into ways that they can help their brothers and sisters recover their emotional well-being. And that is equally true for the good people of New Zealand, Australia, and the other places around the globe that have also had unfriendly visits by Mother Nature, not to mention the millions of brave souls in the Middle East who are struggling for freedom itself. We're with you all, and I hope you can find peace again before too long. Now, uh, I'll close with just a quick word about Sasha's health. And the best place to keep up with his current situation is through their Facebook page, where Ann Shulgin is uh, posting some long and uh, very beautifully written posts. And here's the beginning of her most recent one, which was on the 10th of March, 2011. Ann Begins. Now, as to Sasha's state of brain and mind, as you know, he has mild dementia, which is the reason we have round-the-clock care. For a couple of years, he was taking... He was taking two drugs I don't want to try to pronounce badly. They are A-R-I-C-E-P-T and N-A-M-E-N-D-A. They look easy to say, but I couldn't do it. (laughs) Anyway, she goes on, which may or may not have helped slow the process, but which obviously weren't doing much of anything recently. Our new doctor, Paul Abramson, decided to take him off those and put him on hydrogen, Albert Hoffman's compound. That was about three weeks ago. I didn't expect any obvious results, and of course one never knows if a state of dementia is being slowed down. I mean, how would you tell? So when Dee, one of our miraculous Tibetan women, told me that Sasha was suddenly doing certain little things, like feeding himself, which he hadn't been doing before, I said what? He is! Or something like that. And she listed a few other things that he was doing better, all of which was astonishing. Clearly, the hydrogen has been changing things. He takes it three times a day. Then, after a bit more news, Anne continues, I'm sure you'll understand when I say that what matters to me most is being relieved of the constant anxiety about how we're going to afford to keep Sasha at home with the excellent and loving care he's getting from our three graces. By the way, Sasha's increase in physical strength, his ability to walk now with a cane instead of a walker, is entirely due to the women who take care of him and put him through exercises all day long, although they do let him nap a bit in his chair after meals. They treat him like their own fathers, with love and humor, and you can't put a price on that. So what I want for my birthday is to find a few very wealthy and compassionate people who are interested in consciousness and familiar with the world of psychedelics, and who understand what Sasha's work has meant, and will continue to mean long after he dies and can't afford to help us keep him home and so very well cared for. In the meantime, I feel tremendous gratitude to all of you who have sacrificed God knows what to send us whatever you could. It's because of you that we've made it this far, and I hope you understand that I can't thank you individually, although I would if I could. And there's a lot more current information about Sasha that Ann posts regularly on their Facebook page. And there are a number of ways that you can contribute to help them pay their medical bills, but none are uh, easy enough to describe in a podcast, so you'll find the links to the various ways posted along with the program notes for today's program. And while I realize that there are a lot of people all around the world, in addition to Sasha, who need help right now, but in addition to tribal elders like Sasha, there is one of our younger generation that is also in dire need of our assistance. She's a woman who is a close friend of John Hanna and his wife. and In fact, she was their daughter's teacher, besides being a friend. And she has suffered a series of calamities that uh, seem almost impossible to recover from. And so I've also put a link to her story at the top of the program notes for today's podcast. And I hope that you'll at least take time to read her story and send her some light and love. And just to let you know the intensity of this situation, John Hanna is offering to sell his rare collection of psychedelia piece by piece to help raise funds. Although, if you do see fit to donate, I I hope that you just send a donation and let John keep this important collection together. But however you do it, it would be great if you could help her out a little bit. Well, on that uh, rather heavy note, I'll close today's podcast by reminding you that this and most of the podcasts from the Psychedelic Salon are freely available for you to use in your own audio projects under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-alike 3.0 License. And if you have any questions about that, just uh, click the Creative Commons link at the bottom of the Psychedelic Salon webpage, which you can find via psychedelicsalon.us. And if you're interested in the philosophy behind the salon, you can hear something about it in my novel, The Genesis Generation. Which is available as an audiobook that you can download at genesisgeneration.us. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.